open your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. We looked last week at why is the mystery of God, and then this week we're going to look at what is the mystery of God, and then next week, how does he make that mystery known? Trying to finish up Romans here. I'm not trying to delay. I'm just uh, going where the Lord leads me each week, and I feel a need to speak more about this mystery. Uh, It was explained all through the book of Romans, but I just want to make sure we have a good grasp on it. Uh, another part of the title of this message is, are, are you blessed like Abraham? I want you to think about that for just a second. Think about Abraham and God meeting with Abraham and choosing Abraham that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so I think it's pretty simple to, to, to say that God's hand was on Abraham and God used Abraham and God's grace and mercy was on Abraham, and God's blessing was on Abraham. Right? It's pretty easy to say that. What about you? And so I, I want you to think about yourself in that, in that link to Abraham. What about you, and how, how much of that comes toward you, and, and little old you, as you know, as, as feeble as you are? I think living in our country, living in the United States, being one of the most blessed uh, countries in the world, I find that we have a harder time believing that the blessing of God is on us than people from other nations. Do you believe that the blessing of God is on your life? Below you, sorry as you are, do you believe that? So let's look, let's look at Romans chapter 16, verse 25 again. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to, here's the phrase, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. We asked last week, uh, why the mystery? Why has God kept something secret since the world began? We define the word mystery as something hidden, something secret, something that's not been fully explained or fully understood. And at some point, for a mystery to be a good mystery, you want to get the end of the story, right? You want to finally have the aha moment and say, oh, wow, that does make sense. That all comes together. And so last week we looked at why has God hidden something? We found the answer in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 through 9 of where it says, I'll just read the the underlined part, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Let's go back. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so we said last week, the reason for the mystery was because Jesus had to be crucified and if they would have known or we would have known, he would have never been crucified. Let me give you some more verses about the mystery just to kind of let you see how this is something all through the New Testament. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. So just stop right there. There's something that God's kept secret since the beginning of the world 
but it, it is something that is hidden wisdom. God did it, and, and it is even for our glory. When we get the aha moment and it all makes sense, it's even going to be not just to the glory of God, but uh, we will be glorious in it as well. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. And I started to do a whole message on this creation part. There is a, there is a correlation between the creation of God and the, the salvation mystery of God. Let me say it that way. The mystery of God encompasses salvation. That's the answer if you didn't already know that, but I'm going to go even deeper than that. But there is a correlation between God being the, the Lord of creation and God being the Lord of salvation. You can see that theme all through the Bible. I'll give you a little illustration, just personalize a little bit. This morning, Andrew and Deanna, or Deanna, uh, Andrew and Deanna had their little baby girl, Eleanor was born. Yeah, there you go, Andrew. If, if you listen to this, Andrew, there you go. We're excited for you. You needed a girl. We praise God for that. Andrew's going to be such a so much a better dad now. Not that he wasn't a good dad before, but he's going to be even better now. You guys that have daughters, that's right, isn't it? I mean, that's true. But let me tell you, that, that's creation. You see that? That baby being born, that's a miracle. If you're a dad and you experienced that I don't know about moms but I know about dads if you're a dad and you've experienced that that's a miracle of creation so is somebody getting saved it is a miracle of the, the supernatural power of God that's why God calls refers to salvation in John chapter 3 as being born again it's a, it is miraculous when God comes into a person whose mind is dark their heart is dark we just sung about it there is so much darkness and God turns the light on and says this, you need God more than anything else in the world. And they know they need God more than anything else in the world. And they come to this broken place where they finally throw up their hand and say, God, save me. And he saves them. That's miraculous. And so there's a, there's a correlation between creation power and salvation power and the glory of both goes to God Almighty. And so... That's a little bit about what he's saying in Ephesians chapter 3. Here's one more verse about the mystery. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Notice those words, the riches of the glory of the mystery. And so, you ever watched a good mystery movie, read a good mystery book, and the end of it, we really liked the end of it best when we didn't see it coming, right? When we didn't, we couldn't explain it as we were watching it or reading it, and then it all makes sense. This mystery is something you would never imagine. It is rich in glory, this mystery. It is something that God has now made, willed to make known. He says what it is. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is Jesus who is God coming to be made a man so that he could die in your place and pay the debt for your sins so that you could not just be saved and forgiven, but so that you could become his child 
and be guaranteed to go to his house one day and live with him and never die again. That's a glorious mystery is what he said. It's a beautiful thing. So uh, I want to just kind of trace with you from the Old Testament. I'm going to ask you to turn with me do some Bible turning again today. The, this mystery from the Old Testament. First of all, Genesis. go to the book of Genesis with me. Keep your place in Romans. But let's go to Genesis chapter 3 first. Genesis chapter 3. I'm just going to look at one verse. Let's look at verse 15. This is after the fall of Adam and Eve and after the serpent who is Satan has deceived them. Here's what God says in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this is way back in the Garden of Eden. And I want you to see this verse because I want you to see this reference to seed and some sort of uh, statement about how the devil's going to bruise his head, but you shall, or, or you shall bruise his head, but the devil's going to bruise his heel. Even then, in the garden, at the very beginning, God Almighty is looking forward, and this is part of the mystery. This, this culmination of verse 15 is going to be through Jesus Christ. And the mystery, not known by us, not known by Adam and Eve, was known by God and planned by God even back there in the garden. Now the second point I want you to look at in your notes is the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant God made with Abraham. Now you be turning with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. You remember God came to Abraham when he was old and said to Abraham, you're going to have a child and through you I'll bless all the nations of the earth. And Abraham believed God, even though it was very old. Sarah didn't believe as much as Abraham. She laughed at God. Remember that? She laughed. It's one of the few times in Scripture the guy believed and the woman didn't. Usually it's the other way around. But Abraham believed God. And so I want us to read that. Abraham covenant, Genesis chapter 15, starting verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is in my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed the Lord, and God counted it to him for righteousness. Now skip down to verse 12. Thank Chapter 15, verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell on him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, 
and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. What's he talking about here? He's talking about Egypt, when they were in Egypt. They will afflict them 400 years, and also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. So Abraham is told here that his offspring are going to suffer but there are going to be many of them. It's going to happen for 400 years, and they're going to come out uh, with great wealth. Now skip over to Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 through 7. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. <coughs> He's saying there, repeatedly says to Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Kings will come from you. Look at verse 6. Kings will come from you. Nations will come from you. Look at verse 7. When I establish my covenant between me and you, your descendants after you, and their generations. So when God made this covenant with Abraham, he's saying, I'm also making this covenant with your descendants after you and their generations. An everlasting covenant. When we think of Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham, we know that he made it with Abraham's seed. But who was Abraham's seed? Let me give you three options. Is it the Jews? The answer is yes, it is the Jews. Let me give you two more. Is it the nation of Israel, national Israel? Yes. Is it Christians? Or you could say it this way, the church who saved? The answer is yes to all three. Let me just say, I'll talk to you a little bit about the first one. Is it the Jews? Do you know that Abraham wasn't a Jew? You know that? Abraham was a Gentile. God said, we, when we think about God choosing Abraham, and out of Abraham he's going to put his hand and his blessing and bless all the, you know, as the stars of the heaven. Abraham wasn't even a Jew. Abraham was a Gentile. Abraham and Isaac both had Jewish and Gentile children. Think about it. Abraham had two children. One was Jewish and one was a Gentile. Isaac had different children, some Jews, some Gentile. What about Jacob, the third generation? What about Jacob? All Jewish. Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rebecca. They were both Jewish. He had 12 children, which all go on to become the 12 children of the tribes of Israel, all Jewish. If you go back, I'm not going to take time today, if you go back and read the story of when Jacob wrestled with God, and at the end of it, God says something different to Jacob than he said to, to, to Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be my people from now on. I'm going to bless all your descendants. And all of Jacob's children were Jewish. All 12 of them were uh, 
born Jewish and they own to be the 12 tribes of Israel. But God doesn't spread his seed, the seed of Abraham, through all 12 of Jacob's children. He only does it through, the, through Judah, which was the fourth child, not the first child, the fourth child. God chose to carry the line through the line of Judah. So is, is, are the Jews Abraham's seed? Yes. Is Israel Abraham's seed? <laughs> yes. To, uh, that's a, that's a, needs a lot more explanation than I'm giving it today. But, and, and is the church, or, or let me say it another way, are Christians Abraham's seed? The answer is yes. We'll show you that in just a minute. He says uh, in this passage, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Look down at Genesis chapter 17, verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. I was, I was going to go through a big discourse on circumcision today. I decided not to do that. But this circumcision becomes the outward sign of this covenant between Abraham and God. And numerous passages, I have a list of them. I'm, I, I was going to spend a lot of time on today. I decided not to. But numerous passages in the New Testament talk about how it's not an outward circumcision, but it's an inward circumcision. You've read these passages. We have to be circumcised of the heart. And so it's not just something you do outside. It's something that has to be done inside to be a part of this seed of Abraham that has the blessing of God. Number three in your notes. Jesus is the seed. Now turn with me to the New Testament, to the book of Galatians. We'll look at several passages there, so I want you to go ahead and turn with me. Galatians chapter 3. So we're still kind of talking about this question, what is the seed of Abraham that has the blessing of God on it? Genesis, I mean, Galatians chapter 3 verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, he does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. That's a really big verse right there that is stating that Jesus is the prophesied seed of Abraham who is going to carry forward this blessing that comes from God to Abraham and to Jesus. I want to, uh, I want to give you an explanation and I want you to look at this picture. Take the picture away. Just I don't know what I'm looking at it yet. Thank you. <laughs> so, Old Testament, New Testament. The word testament you didn't know this, I think I've taught this before, is the same word covenant. Did you know that? So your Bible could say Old Covenant, New Covenant. You, you know how your Bible separated Old Testament, New Testament? It could say Old Covenant, New Covenant. The Old Covenant, the Covenant of Abraham, the New Covenant, the Covenant through Jesus Christ. Okay? So Old Covenant, New Covenant. When we get to the New Testament or the New Covenant, the first books of the Bible, one of the things they're going to do is trace the lineage from Old to new to prove to you that this is a valid new covenant. Does that make sense? That it's going to pray, trace the genealogy from the beginning of time to Jesus. Now, now you put the, the chart up. I wanted to see this. Jesus is the seed now. We just read in Galatians 3.16. And here's this little chart that shows you, and one is from the book of Matthew, and one is from the book of Luke, the first and third books of the New Testament. And these two books, at the very beginning, they 
they give us the genealogy from Adam down to Noah to Abraham to King David. Both of them do this. And then uh, the line that's mentioned in the book of Luke. It shows you the verses there if you can read those. Luke chapter 3 and following. In, in the book of Luke, it shows us the line of King David down to Joseph, who will become the stepfather of Jesus because Jesus was virgin born. And then in Matthew, beginning in chapter 1, he gives us the line from David down to Mary, who's the mother of Jesus. So it's given us both sides of the genealogy of Jesus. Why? It is to prove that Jesus is the seed of Abraham. And it goes, it even goes further back than Abraham. It goes all the way back to Adam, then to Noah, then to Abraham. And you can do a lot of study on these genealogies. If somebody ever asks you, uh, what's, why is there a discrepancy in the genealogies given in the book of Luke and the book of Matthew? The answer to that question is really easy. There's a discrepancy because one of them is the side of Mary and the other one is the side of Joseph. And it's showing the genealogies coming from both sides. And so we just sum all that up. Jesus comes and he is of the seed of Abraham. You can trace the genealogies from who's born to who, from Abraham all the way down to the birth of Jesus. So Jesus comes to this earth. He's the son of God and he's also a descendant of Abraham. That's why he's fit to fulfill the salvation of the souls of millions of people. That's why. He's fulfilling what God promised Abraham, and also he's the son of the living God. Now let's go to one point further. Number four in your outline. Christians are the seed. Say in Galatians chapter 3, we're going to just look at this real quick. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. What did he do? Say the word believe. This, I want to get you talking to me. What did he do? Believe. believe. Abraham believed God and it was accounted for him, to him for righteousness. Verse 7. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Notice that. Those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying... In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So here he changes the word believe to faith. Only those who have faith in God. Think of verse 9. Those who are of faith are blessed with what kind of Abraham? Say it with me. Believing Abraham. So when we start this message, I ask you, are you blessed like Abraham? Do you have the, the grace, the favor of God on you like Abraham? It says right here, the, the gospel was preached to Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. The same way the gospel's been preached to you, you believe God, and it's been counted to you for righteousness. Let me give you, a, a, <coughs> let me give you another passage here in Galatians, and we're going to look at one in Romans. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 26, look over there, 26 through 29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. Now here he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's you. If you are in Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's no hierarchy. He says there's no Jew or Gentile. We're all one. I, I met a Jewish little boy when I was on vacation. He was about 15 years old. And I was, got to know him. I talked to him. I said, where are you from? He said, Israel. And I went, wow. Oh, really? He goes, yeah. He's like, why are you so happy about it? I was like, well, are you Jewish? He goes, yeah. I said, we're brothers. <laughs> he looked at me like I had lost my mind. <laughs> yeah, I had lost my mind. He's, he's from Abraham's seed. And it's like, I'm born again from Abraham's seed, according to the promise. So I want you to get this. And then I want you to own this. You say, well, how do I get that? And I'm showing it to you from Scripture. And here's what God did with Abraham. One day God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham's like 99 years old. And Abraham said, you going to do that, God? God said, yeah. And Abraham said, all right. I believe that. And he believed it. God sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And he came to you one day and said, because I've died for you, you can be born again. You can be saved. Your sins can be forgiven. And you can be my child forevermore. And all of you who are saved at some point said, all right, God, I believe you'll do that. Do it. And he did it. <laughs> and you're amazed by it all the time. Every time we talk about it, you're amazed about it. I mean, my job as a preacher is to describe what happened to you a long time ago over and over again in a lot of different ways. And every time I do, you just say, wow, God, you're great. That's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. And you say, wow, God, you're great. You saved me. What would you do? You, what would you do? You believed God. And it was counted to you for righteousness. Are you the seed of Abraham? You better believe you are. You just take that one step further. So then why do you have trouble believing God's blessing that's on your life? <laughs> Shutting. I'm going to tell you why you have trouble. Because circumstantially something's not going the way you want. Or experientially something hasn't gone the way you want. But God knows exactly what he's doing. That passage we read in Genesis a while ago, I don't know if you noticed it, the one that talked about the children of Israel being kept 400 years in slavery. Did you notice the end of that? It says they came, came out of they come out of slavery. One of my versions says rich. Did you notice that? I wouldn't plan on preaching this, but let, let's look at it. I just want to make a point here. Let's go back. Genesis chapter uh, 17. I think it was. Actually, I think it's 15. <laughs> Give me a second. 
truth. It's 15 verse 14. Let's look at verse 13 and 14. 15 verse 13. He said to Abraham, No, certainly your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs. They will serve them. They will be afflicted 400 years. He's talking about slavery in Egypt. 400 years. This nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. One of my verse, versions says, Afterward, they'll come out rich. 400 years. I'm just trying to give you the perspective of God here so you can have a little bit of trust in God. 400 years, the descendants of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, are in Egypt suffering. That's what you could say, right? I mean, if you were born in Europe after 100 years of slavery, and that's when you were born, you're going to be born a slave, and you're going to die a slave. Does that make sense? But, but how did they get there? They got there by the providence of God preserving Joseph. Mary is cast in the pit. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Sold into slavery, gets raised up in Pharaoh's house, and he interprets a dream, and he, and he keeps all the food back, and Israel's going to die over there, the nation. Jacob and his other 11 children, who are all Jews, they're going to die over there. But instead, they come to Egypt, and there's Joseph, and Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to save you. Remember that part? So he, he literally preserved Israel by bringing them to Egypt. That's how it started. The providence of God. God knows what he's doing. We could read that story and say, praise God, he knows what he's doing. But then there's more to the story. For the next 400 years, they're going to be slaves. And, and serving Egypt. Whips on their backs. Slaves for 400 years. Generation. Some people would be born in slavery and die in slavery. What's God doing in all that? 400 years. We can't put our finger on all of it. I can tell you one of the things. He's multiplying the nation of Israel. They go from 12 to thousands. That's one of the things he's doing. He's growing them immensely and multiplying them in number. But this verse right here says that one day when he judges the nation of Egypt and he brings them out of slavery, he brings them out rich. That's another thing he's doing. You ever think about that? You better be careful about praying to be rich. <laughs> you might have to suffer. You're a descendant. Do you know people are doing that in our country today? I have met two or three people recently who came from other countries to live in the United States so they could work here and be rich. And they're sending money to their family who couldn't come with them, their family back in another country. You ever met anybody like that? They praise God for the nation of America. They're thankful for this country. What are they doing? That man who I've met, he's sacrificing his life. He doesn't get to talk to his kids. He doesn't know his kids. He's not even with his wife. He's sacrificing his life, but his generations after him will be blessed because of what a sacrifice he's made. Well, you say, what are you doing? I'm just showing you we can't always see what God's doing in our little vision of our little lives. And his work is far grander and far greater and to declare the blessing of God on your life and that you're of the seed of Abraham does not cause you to be able to forego suffering or slavery or hurting or pain or anything else that the other people uh, all over the face of this planet have to go through. Or sickness or whatever it may be. Christians are the seed. So... Let me sum up the mystery. The mystery is this.
God chose Abraham. He said, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. I was thinking this week, Eric, that would be, never thought this one, that would be a great missions message. Think about that. A missions message from the call of Abraham. What did he tell Abraham to do? He said, get up and move. I'm going to make it better than you. Take you to a new land. And through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. God's doing missions back there in the Old Testament, even with Abraham. And he's, he's, he's doing something that Jews couldn't see, Gentiles couldn't see, and then over here in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, Jesus is born as the Messiah, and he's going to do things that have been prophesied in the Old Covenant, talked about in the Old Covenant. We could go, I could spend three more hours just going from verse to verse about the prophecies about Jesus that are then fulfilled in the New Testament when, when things happen to Jesus and from Jesus. And, and how the Son of God comes to save the world. That's the mystery. And it's, it's now accomplished through what we call salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the mystery. The fact that little old sorry you can one day in your car or wherever you were cry out to God and say, God, I need you more than anything else in the world. Save me fact that he would actually save you, wash your sins away, and make you his child, and guarantee you an eternity in his house in heaven forevermore. That's the end of the story. That's the aha moment. That's the good news of the gospel. And Paul says repeatedly in the New Testament, let no other gospel be preached than this one. Don't distort it. So I'm just going to apply this with two, two points real quick. One. You are kept by the power of God. Now, go back with me to Romans. Back to our passage. Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you, remember we preached a message on that when we started this, verse 25, I think about four or five weeks ago now. The word establish is the word strengthen or keep. Do you remember that? We talked about being strong in, in God. Him who is God, who is able to strengthen you or keep you according to my gospel. This is our two points. According to the gospel and according to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Remember that message? Strengthen you, keep you by the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Let's read on verse 25. According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. So here's the third point. Today I'll give you the third point. How are you kept... How are you strengthened? How are you kept by the power of God by the, the end of it, by the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began? Does that make sense? So by the revelation means you, you get information, you understand information about what? About the mystery kept secret since the world began. So what we've talked about this morning, how the, the blessing came to Abraham and, and you are the seed of Abraham, and the whole process of the gospel and of salvation and of Jesus on the cross, I have explained in simple way, hopefully, the revelation of the mystery of God. And that information that I've just explained should further reassure and, and, and give roots to your faith, roots to your belief that God is for you, God is with you, and that God is keeping you, verse 25, establishing you, or keeping you, or strengthening you 
by the power of God. Give you some verses about this. First Peter chapter one verse five. We who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. You are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times. So your your salvation, you say, I, I know I'm saved, but well, I'm weak. <laughs> I'm a mess. And I say, so am I. I bet I'm a bigger mess than you are. I'm, I'm, I mess things up. So do I. I could blow this whole thing. So could I. It's the same grace that called you to be saved is the same grace that's going to keep you saved. And it's not a, it's not a picture of where, where you're reaching up to God and grabbing hold of God and saying, I, I, I love the illustration. I keep coming back to it of Noah and the ark. God put Noah and his eight in the ark and the Bible says that he shut the door. He didn't drive eight stobs into the outside of the ark and tell Noah and his kids, grab a hold of one of those, and if you can hold on to one of them for dear life through the flood, you'll be saved. But if you, if you break your grip and you let go, you're going to be lost. That's not what he did. He put them in the ark and he shut the door, right? The same is true with you. You don't have to reach up to God and... Work harder, try harder, be better, do more to hold on to God so that you're going to be saved. If you're really saved, God reached down from heaven and he took hold of you. And he's got hold of you and nothing can break the grip of God. He's not going to let you go. You say, how does this apply? Well, if that doesn't hit you where you need it, maybe it hits your son where you need it. Maybe it hits your daughter where you need it. Maybe it hits your spouse where you need it. You get where I'm saying where you need it? You need to be able to say, praise God. I don't understand what my son or daughter is going through. I don't understand what my spouse is going through. I'm worried they're going to blow it. I'm worried they're going to mess this thing up that God's doing in our lives, in our family's life. Well, not if they're saved. They're, they're kept by the power of God. He's got to hold on them. They cannot be broken. They cannot be loosed. And they can't mess up the work that God began in them. He's going to accomplish let me give you another passage that kind of goes along with this. Luke chapter 22. Let me tell you why I'm reading this. Peter said in 1 Peter, we are kept by the power of God. That's the first verse we read. Now here's what Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. Several things said in that couple of verses. One, it says, when you have returned to me. Did Peter fall away from Jesus? You better believe it. He denied him three times and then the rooster called him back. <laughs> he, he says, Jesus says, well, Satan's going to try to drag you away from me. And Jesus says, but I prayed for you. Who's he praying to? He's praying to the Heavenly Father. He says, I prayed for you that your faith should not fail. That you would not lose your belief in, in Jesus as your Savior. And then it says, when you have returned to me. Why did Peter come back to Jesus after the rooster crowed? Because God Almighty gave Peter a broken heart and a repentant heart. The same God that called Peter to be saved is the same God that caused Peter's heart to be broken when he realized he had sinned. And the, and the God that we serve is big enough. He knew in Peter's life... All it took, all it was going to take was a rooster crowing. 
A rooster crowing woke up Peter and caused him to repent with a broken heart and say, Lord, take me back. I come back running back. I wish it only took a rooster for some of us. For some of us, it's going to take more than a rooster. That's sad, isn't it? But that's true. For some of us, it'll take a, a lot harder things, a lot longer roads. But it's the same God that saved you, who has you by His power, who's going to give you the heart of repentance to return to Him. He's going to break your heart one day and cause you to cry out to God and say, Oh God, forgive me the same way you did the first time. It's the same God who gave you repentance the first time. It's the same God who will give you repentance again. That's why when Peter's reading, the, writing the book of 1 Peter and God's working on him, he puts in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, We are kept by the power of God. Because Peter... If anybody else knows it, he knows it. He's been down that road. Jesus prayed that Peter's faith would not fail, and it did not ultimately fail, though he stumbled. Didn't he? Stumbled pretty big. Here's another verse. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun to get work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ confident of this thing. God who started the work in you is the same God who's going to finish the work in you. Give me another verse. Jude, only one chapter in Jude, but Jude verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise with glory and majesty and dominion power of now and forever. Amen. This is a doxology of you, and he's going to praise God and give God glory and dominion and power. And the thing that you're going to give God glory and dominion and power for is this fact. God who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. Praise God. You are kept by the power of God. Number two. Barabbas is the illustration of the mystery. Barabbas, remember who Barabbas is? He's that guy who was in the New Testament who was supposed to die on the cross. Remember that guy, Barabbas? There were three crosses put up that day for three people. Two thieves on each side, and the middle cross was held for the worst. The worst. My little kids used to say they're grown now. The worst was for the middle cross. Who was that? That was that cross was made for Barabbas because he wasn't just a thief. The Bible says he was a murderer. He was the worst one. And that cross, when carpenters formed it and they, they cut out that cross, it was made for Barabbas. Barabbas' name means son of the father. Bar-Abbas. Bar, son of Abba, father. Son of the father. That's not by accident. Son of the Father is supposed to die on the cross, and Pilate comes out and he says, My hands are clean. I find no fault in this Jesus. Uh, you say you don't call him king of the Jews. Who should I release to you, Barabbas or Jesus? And they say, Release Barabbas. And then he says, What shall I do of Jesus? And they begin to shout, Crucify him crucify him. So the Son of God, who is the literal Son of the Father, goes to the cross 
and he dies on a cross and pays a penalty for the sins of the world. While the one who the cross was built for, Barabbas, whose name means son of the father, he gets not only the penalty taken away, the fault taken away, but he gets to go free. He gets to go free. We are Barabbas. I'm Barabbas. You're Barabbas. We're the ones deserving of the death. The cross that Jesus hangs on was constructed for us. Jesus was literally nailed to the cross that belonged to Barabbas, and he was literally nailed to the cross that belonged to me and belonged to you. And Barabbas was allowed to go free. And so are you. So am I. I am Barabbas. I am now son of the Father, King of kings, and the Lord of lords, because Jesus went to the cross in my place. That's the glory of the mystery. You know the great thing about this mystery? We could keep turning it. I could give you more and more illustrations. That's what the Bible is full of. More and more illustrations of this mystery and what God did. And every time we can go, ah, oh, glory to God. Look what he's done. You hear what they're saying? That's what he's done. That's what he's done. They're singing our song. If it's good church music, it should be some facet of the mystery. If it's a good testimony, it should have some angle of looking at the mystery. If it's a good story about church or about Jesus or about salvation, it's a look at the mystery and how Jesus came to save us from our sins. And he was the living son of God. That's amazing. What a mystery. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for dying in our place, taking our sins upon you, being willing not just to forgive us of our sins, but to blot out our transgressions, to wash us clean as white as the snow, as far as the east is from the west. We are not worthy of that, Lord. We give you praise for that. So, Father, today we, we thank you for blessing us. I want to take a minute, Lord, and I want to pray a blessing over those who are listening to this message. I pray, Father, today that they would know that they are blessed as the seed of Abraham. I pray that the people here today who hear this message would believe that the blessing of God is upon their life. And that belief would not be based on circumstances or health or money. But that belief is based on one thing, the fact that Jesus Christ came to die on the cross in our place. Because you did that for us, we are blessed. Help people today to believe that and to know that and to live with confidence because of that, to not be shaken when the doctor gives you a bad diagnosis, to not be shaken when things don't go the way we want, to not be shaken when... Life is hard and things are difficult. To know 
that the blessing of God still rests on you and God's bigger than your circumstances and he's doing more than you can see and more than you can know because he is a mighty and glorious God. We praise you today, Father, as being all-knowing, all-powerful, deserving all glory. We lift up the name of Jesus and declare, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Father, we give you glory today, and we praise the name of Jesus today. Thank you for the blessing of God being on my life. Thank you for the blessing of God being on people's lives. It is for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing?